Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. This is Saqib Ali hosting the show. It's 6.30 p.m. in Eastern Time Zone in the U.S. And today I have, uh, we are multitasking here. We have a couple of different time zones. And on that note, let me bring in the guests. Uh, we have uh, Kevin Fram from Melbourne making his second appearance on the show. It's 8.30 uh, in the morning and Kevin was nice enough to uh, make this accommodation for the podcast. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks very much, Saqib. Good to be here. Yeah, and then uh, we have another guest who's making his debut here. We have uh, Ed Oliver, uh, uh, upcoming, uh, I mean, if that's the correct word, but yeah, he's, you know, fresh talent in the writing journalism world of cricket. And Ed, why don't you uh, give your proper introduction? What has your work area been so far? I know you write about maybe more than just cricket. So I'll let the listeners know what you've been up to. Yeah, thanks, Akeeb. Um Yeah, I write mainly about cricket, also a bit about the NFL, um, horse racing, a few other sports. Um, I'm basically a freelance journalist. I worked a bit on the World Cup last year for the ICC, which obviously was great experience. So, yeah, great to be here as well. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, and again, a big thank you to you because it's, uh, it's pretty soon it's going to be midnight in the UK. So, yeah, that's the only way this was going to work if, uh, you know, we found something uh, you know, suitable. I mean, I'm having the best seat in the house. I just finished work, had a cup of tea, and I'm ready, uh, you know, on my recliner. So, a little selfish, but, uh, you know, uh, three time zones, you know, just don't come together as often unless you're watching, you know, a live event. So, Kevin, last time we were here, uh, it was in February. So, a few things have happened, you know. There was, you know, the tough and testing period of the pandemic that the world is going through. So how are things in Australia? I know you guys are back in some sort of a lockdown. So what is the status there before we get the cricket going? We, we're we back in a lockdown in, in Melbourne. Um, the rest of Australia is is out of lockdown, but we've, we've still got a serious problem in Melbourne with, uh, with COVID. We had an outbreak about a month ago um, for various reasons, and it's... Uh, doesn't seem to be getting any better. The initial lockdown was supposed to be for six weeks, but I think it's probably going to go for longer than that. Um, look, our figures are still fairly low compared with a lot of countries in the rest of the world. Uh, by Australian standards, um, they're way too high. So uh, so lockdown is where we are, unfortunately. Yeah. It's hope for the best. I mean, I guess uh, everyone's in the somewhat in a similar position, relatively speaking. Uh, even in the US, you know, there's some sort of an experience surge expected at least that's what i keep hearing yeah so yeah uh, hope, hope things you know get better so this series that just ended you know joe root and his team have uh, won the wisdom trophy and uh, toss is something that's huge especially in cricket twitter if you are a resident there's a lot of expert comments and rightfully so so jason holder you know there's a pattern here so he wins a toss and doesn't bat first and it happened i think two tests in a row so did you see any flawed uh, approach there? Or you think that was a gamble? How, are, how did you even process it? I'm sure as an English fan, you were happy if you didn't like what he did. But uh, put your critic hat on and just uh, you know, break it down for me. What were your initial feelings when you uh, saw West Indies? You know, not bad in those two matches. Well, I think with the conditions, he was probably quite within his rights to choose to bowl first. I think also, if you look at the West Indies, their batting is pretty fragile. So... You know, I would wonder how much of that is sort of protecting his own batsmen as well, not wanting to expose them to Broad and Anderson and, you know, Archerwood, et cetera, in challenging conditions. 
But you rather, again, account, if Sanket was here, he would say you'd rather not chase with that batting lineup, even though they managed a big chase uh, in the first test. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, Ed, I mean, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've already covered these, this series. Were you as surprised or uh, do, do, do you see any, any meat in my question or you kind of agree with what Kevin said? Uh, because the conditions you have to respect both ways with Broad and Anderson especially. Uh, you'll always, you know, be up for a big test uh, batting first in those conditions. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think he was fully justified to to um, stick England in to try and give his bowlers the best, to exploit the conditions the best they could. And uh, so, Ed, so uh, uh, Holder, you know, made a, a pretty important, I think, uh, press conference there where he's basically talking about the dire straits of the Western Cricket Board and how, you know, much of a financial, you know, difficulty they will be. I mean, that's a board that doesn't really make that much compared to the big three boards. But now this is the time, just like the whole world's into lockdown, and he's expecting the ECB to oblige with a return tour. So is that something, you know, you'll be writing about, or what do you make of that, and what have you come across in the English media with that uh, pitch by Holder? Yeah, I think I think it's still pretty fresh. Um, you know, I think it was only probably yesterday that he, he came out with these comments. I think in an ideal world, England would send you know a reciprocal team out there to um, to pay. You know, I think it was some crazy figure. I don't know how many millions it saved the ECB, the West Indies coming over. I think England would talk about possibly losing three hundred million pounds if there'd been no cricket at all this summer in England. So obviously, it's saving a big share of that. It's just, I mean, I, I think the fact that England have been able to put out, you know, they're playing Ireland tomorrow, the fact that they're able to put out a full ADI squad and test squad, basically, separate the two, you know, I think there's no reason why they couldn't send maybe at the ODI side over to the Western East for a few one days in a couple of 2020s. Yeah. And uh, this is a question for both, I guess, Kevin, you can go first. Have, are there any stats, like how much... Uh, ratings that the series drew because there was no other live cricket. Of course, there were some other sports that were going on. So did cricket, you know, draw more than expected ratings? Or uh, I, t- I haven't seen I haven't seen any ratings to be honest. But I do remember Michael Holding making a comment in the first Test match about how this could be the most, the most watched Test match in history. Yeah. And I remember that. I I suspect there's probably quite a lot to that because, as you say, there's uh, there's absolutely no other cricket to watch. So uh, it'll be interesting if if they do have any figures. It'll be interesting to see them when they come out. But uh, I'm sure they'll be high. Ed, do you have anything to say? Have you come across any charts or any uh, any rating, you know, metrics as far? I as... haven't seen anything over here. I know all the English cricket fans were desperate for something to watch. Uh, but no, I've not seen any ratings. But obviously, it's only been on Sky over here, so that you know that is a relatively small fraction of the British population. But yeah, I would be interested to see whether their ratings are up much more sure. than they normally are. So Just as an interesting aside, yeah. actually, they they streamed the series here on the Cricket Australia website. Um, so it was it was available to all and sundry, which I thought was a magnificent thing to do. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great, great effort. Yeah. No, again, I mean, I'm sure like any diehard cricket fan was just watching this because, you know, this was such a new thing not to have any sport for 
close to four months and then the series comes along. And it was pretty competitive for at least coming into the third set, uh, test. So, Kevin, let me ask you first about Jason Holder coming in as a top-ranked all-rounder and uh, with fantastic balling averages. You know, not your typical uh, – I don't even know what is typical anymore, but, you know, if you go back to the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, not in the same mold as quick and fast as some of those West Indian bowlers, but uh, gets the job done. So strictly comparing him, do you see him as a bowling all-rounder, Kevin, because he bats number eight? Not like, you know, uh, his big rival, Ben Stokes, who pretty much bats as a batsman. So your view oh, on Holder? Oh, def- definitely, definitely. Holder is, Holder is a bowling all-rounder. Um, I think he's too low at eight. He should certainly be batting seven at, at the very least. I think he has the potential to bat higher than that. Um, but, uh, you know, his, uh, his, his bowling stats over the last couple of years are, are ridiculous. Um, but in, in some ways, he, he, he encapsulates the West Indies team, really. He has, he has more potential with the bat than he's shown. Um, and you kind of get the impression that until he and some of those other batsmen fulfill that potential, then the West Indies are always going to struggle because their, their batting is so light. Um, but it could be, it could be good. And it must, it must be incredibly frustrating for him, both as a player and a captain to, uh, to consistently find himself in that position. You think ideally he should be slightly higher or the depth doesn't allow him because he would always run out of partners and it's pretty incredible given the position he bats in. He averages like in the early 30s, which is uh, pretty good, I think, because at that position you, you're bound to run out of other batsmen. Yeah, he should he should certainly he should certainly be batting at least seven. I would have thought he's he strikes me as a better player than than Dowrich, who had his struggles in this series. So you you would think that seven would be uh, seven would be the minimum that he should aim for. I would have thought. Where would you rate him in terms of? Uh, I mean, it's a nostalgic comparison. We don't necessarily have to do stats wise, but bowling action wise, they like his stock ball, what he takes wickets with, how he sets his field. Does he remind you of anyone? Does he fit in any particular mold? Because I think it's pretty... I enjoy watching his bowling. He doesn't have the quickness of some of the, you know, spearheads that are going around in world cricket. But I think he's a very thinking cricketer. He, he absolutely is. And he's, an, he's a very, very impressive young man. Just, just the way he conducts himself and the way he speaks. Um, I think uh, I think the West Indies are very very well served to have him as their captain in this period of of development. Um, in, I, I wouldn't want to make any any comparisons, but uh, he's uh, he's an, he's a very impressive cricketer, Jason Holder, and to come up with the stats that he's come up with in the last couple of years in an, in a team that has often struggled uh, with the burden of captaincy on top of that. Is, uh, is incredibly impressive, I think. So, I'd same question to you about Holder's ability. Uh, how fascinating a figure he is to write about, because I'm sure you've taken cricket as a journalist and you have to put your objective hat in. Uh, even then, I think star power is something I've uh, seen a lot of writers bank on, because it's easy to write about someone, you know, who's either star or can polarize the opinion. So, uh, how do you consume Jason Holder as a topic when you're writing well, I think, yeah, I think, like Kevin said, I think he's a very impressive figure. I think he's been in charge for five years now from testing ODI side. You know, I think he's only 28 even now, which seems crazy. 
Um, like I said, he's not the quickest, is he, his bowling, but the amount of balance and swing he gets and his accuracy, I think he's an inspiring figure as well. I think he certainly, he's gelled them into a lot more of a cohesive unit than they were when he took over. I think they were probably a bit of a rabble if you go back about five years. But I think, yeah, I think under him and Phil Simmons, they're, they're definitely becoming a force to be reckoned with. Although, at the same time, I've sort of look at the rankings and they actually haven't moved that much. I think they're eighth in the test rankings and ninth in ODIs, which is, you know, you think of the great West Indian size, you think that's pretty disappointing. But I think they're definitely moving in the right direction under him. Yeah, I mean, me and Kevin, I think there were a couple others who were the thread. I just posed a question when the series got underway. And uh, uh, I don't know my cricket you know, inside out like Kev does, but uh, I was pretty sure that none of these batters are close to the 40 average. And I was right when I did some research. I think uh, to win test matches, you, you, you have to, you, you need to have few guys. I mean, of course, Ben Stokes is an exception. You know, he's averaging below 40 or just 40, but then he shows up for the biggest innings. And then uh, we'll, we'll get to him. But uh, I think to what Ed just said, there's a question for you both. Who, who wants to go first? The obvious uh, room for improvement that in the West Indies team is batting. And, uh, and give your feedback. Who impressed you in this regard, like the West Indian batting? And was it a surprise, the guy who did impress you in the series? Kev, you can go first. Um, look, the, the, one, the one who impressed me was probably... Uh, was probably Jermaine Blackwood. Um, I wouldn't say it was a surprise because I'd seen him make runs against England before um, and he certainly got all the shots in the world and he times the ball beautifully. Um, but, it, you know, even even Blackwood, there were a couple of shots, a couple of ways that he got out that he'll be pretty disappointed with. Um, and uh, it's... it's as I, as I said before, it must be incredibly frustrating for the uh, for the coaching staff and and the players to see the talent that that side has. You you look at Shea Hope, you look at Brathwaite, uh, you look at Roston Chase, Shamar Brooks. You know they've they've all shown plenty at various points, both in this series and other series, um, and they just haven't quite kicked on. And uh, and until two or three of them do then you can't see West Indies moving up that ranking table very much. Um, it was the first time I'd seen Shamar Brooks, actually, and, uh, and he impressed me too, a- again, without really converting into the big score that his team needed. Um, but the talent is there. They just, they just need to be able to learn to bat long and to play a test in it. Yeah, let's, let's see how it shapes up. And I think you pretty much... Uh... It was pretty astute on how you broke down those uh, those guys, and they have the ability to to stand up and you know deliver big scores. But the competition is always run by performance, not by potential talent. So uh, yeah, we we should keep track of how these guys perform in the future. Uh, so let me bring you in here. Uh, do you want to talk about the West Indies bowling? Were there any? Uh, how do you look back at the series if you were to write about their bowling? Were there any surprises? And uh, who did you who impressed you the most? Well, I think, yeah, Sean Gable obviously was very impressive. Uh, Kimar Roach, he had a, was it about 80 overs he'd, he'd gone on test quickly without taking a wicket, but he was very, very unlucky. Um, I, I don't think you can really fault the West Indies bowling too much. Racky in Cornwall was a bit disappointing in the one test he did play. 
And I think, um, like Kev said, I think the batting really, I, I think if you look at someone like John Campbell, I think he's played nine tests now and only scored 150. So I think the batting is really where they need to improve. I, I know Darren Bravo and Shimron Hetmeyer both opted out of the tour. So uh, I imagine that at least one of them is going to come back in. And I hope he's got such a great ODI record, but you know, his, his test career, for whatever reason, just doesn't seem to have taken off. So whether he possibly have to move up to open or... But yeah, I think the bowling, certainly for me, would be their strong point and the batting is really what they need, what Phil Simmons needs to sort out. I was just going to say, I think the I think one of the suggestions with Shea Hope is that he uh, is that he drops down to six and keeps wicket. So I don't know whether that would uh, whether that would help his batting batting slightly lower down. Um, but you look at him. I mean, even you know the the last the last innings of the series, second innings at at Old Trafford, he looked superb. You know, his his foot movement was crisp, his shot selection was good until he just played a, a huge swipe out of nowhere and hit the ball straight up in the air. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing, just with the West Indies, you look at them, they've got so much talent, someone like Blackwood and I think Chase. But you look at their stats, they're really much of a monster, aren't they? Like um, Sakeem said, there's no one mm. averaging even close to 40 in tests. I think Darren Bravo's 37 is probably the nearest. It just yeah. it seems they've really got Brathwaite and they're really desperate for another opener and then they've got sort of five or six players to fit into sort of four slots in the middle order. Like I said, Shy Hope, it is crazy. We look for such a good player. Uh, let's uh, move to the English side of the uh, house and uh, add. Uh, the opening did look good. Uh, I mean, walk us through actually any listeners who really don't know the English side. So rank their batting order. Uh, in terms of the series and what do you see for potential? Talk about uh, the top five there. Well, I think Burns and Sibley, both, but they both done well. And probably, hopefully not jumping the gun, so they're probably now established as, as openers. Probably, if you go, it's a long time since England have had a reliable opening partnership. You know, you probably have to go back to Cook and Strauss, which I think is the best part of eight years. So they're both ungainly but effective. Um, and I think Chris Silver, when he took over the test side, he really was looking for you know, someone like a Sibley, someone to occupy the crease, someone that doesn't mind batting 300 balls for 100, which is, I think, roughly what he did in the second test. So I think Sibley and Burns would both get um, good marks for me. Um, Stokes, again, absolutely outstanding. Um, Root only came in for the last two games, but you know, he's world class. Um, yeah, I think uh, Lonnie Pope, of course, very talented young players. So, yeah. Passing, I think I have to tell you, probably giving me an eight or nine for this series. Kevin, uh, we'll get to Stokes. I've been saying that. So let's talk about Joss Butler. I mean, if there was any player who was under pressure, it was him. And uh, he got few looks where there was there was a point when he came, England was in driving condition in the second test and he didn't capitalize. So finally, he got mm. a 50 to his name. So how comfortable are you? I think this is the break he needed or you think there's still questions that seem unanswered is form-wise, confidence-wise? Did he look good overall? Because sometimes you can play good and get out to a beauty or like a very tough decision. So how would you rate his form at uh, the crease? Uh, I think he's safe for the summer um, with the particular conditions in the bubble and all of that. Um, I think the, I think to be honest, I think he was probably safe even without the 50, but uh, the 50 will certainly have helped his cause. Um, I remain unconvinced 
about Butler as a uh, as a wicketkeeper batsman. Although to be fair, uh, the uh, the leg side catch that he dropped off Blackwood in the first test, I believe, was the first chance he'd missed in well over a year. Uh, so you know his 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 wicketkeeping is solid enough, and in a in a in a sense he's the victim of his one day success because. You, you look at what he does in one-day cricket, and again, you look at the talent that he's got, and his batting output just disappoints you because you think he's capable of better than that. But if you look at his first-class record, his first-class record and his test record are virtually identical. So, you know, at, at what point do you just accept the fact that Butler averaging 31 or 32 over the course of a test summer is just... That's what you're going to get from him. So the question becomes, is that enough? Or do you bring somebody else in hoping they can do better? But this, this expectation that Butler can, can, can score big runs in test cricket, I think we probably need to put it to bed and just accept the fact that, you know, 30, 31 as an average is what we get. I think very well said, because sometimes these guys, and especially in these three format game, these superstars can't escape their own shadows. And even though everyone says, oh yeah, white ball is different, but expectations do get, you know, created and, and perception sometimes is uh, farther from what the actual ability may be. I mean, I'm a fan, but uh, I'm also coming to a realization that, you know, he may be uh, not as good as we think he should be. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, where the trick lies. So let's talk about the man of the hour. Uh, so Ed, Ben Stokes, I mean, what is his average now since uh, 2019? He's averaging what, close to 55, close to 60. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then he's also doing wonders with the ball. He comes and gets a breakthrough. He's been there in both formats of the game. Whenever England needed, be it Headingley, be it the World Cup, this series, uh, the guy just is a big match player. I mean, so is he the best cricketer in England right now? Oh, absolutely. I think he's, I think he's very good time to be the best cricketer in the world at the minute. Definitely, you know, definitely in the top three. Um, he's just phenomenal, really. The turnaround in his whole life since the incident in Bristol a couple of years ago, it really is just a fairy tale story. You know, the World Cup heading the last year, his performances this year, he's just a phenomenon. Um, I think the big thing with him is he's just so fit. You know, he's able to chill out these 10, 15 over spells that spell at Headingley last year. I remember a significant spelling goal at Old Trafford, um, second test Old Trafford this last series goal. And just uh, the drive, he's just, yeah, he is a phenomenal player. I think the Botham comparisons are going to come up. I think you can, I mean, I, I was a huge fan of Ian Botham, but I think we can probably say he's already a better batsman than he was. So, Kevin, no, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you have something no, yeah. to say. So, uh, I'm sure you want to add something to it. But uh, like Ed said, these comparisons are, you know, you can't avoid this in any sport, but this is a very real comparison. Not only... As Stokes delivering, he's delivering on the biggest stages in the most crunch situations. And, uh, and Botham was, I think, slightly better bowler if you look at the numbers. His differential when, you know, there was an article on Quick Info back in January. His uh, the differential for an all-rounder was five plus. And uh, I'm sure Stokes' ability to narrow down. Compare the two great careers. Which way are you leaning? How do you see Stokes? And I'm sure there's a lot of batting potential. So fire away. Yeah. Um. I think there's a very good case to be made that Ben Stokes has the best batting technique in the England side. He, when, when he's at his best, he plays so incredibly straight. 
Um, the only time he gets himself into trouble a little bit is uh, if he try is if he tries to manufacture some shots. Um, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, that Stokes is a better batsman than Botham was, um, and his upside as a batsman I think is still is still huge. Um, we've had the real flowering of Ben Stokes as a Test batsman over the last eighteen months or so, and. Uh, and the, the sky's the limit for him, really. Um, I think the thing that needs to be borne in mind, too, is that Botham, Botham's peak was only probably five years. Uh, and you would imagine that Stokes' peak is going to last longer than that because he keeps, as, as Ed said, he keeps himself in such fantastic condition. He's so fit and he's so well prepared. Everything you read about Stokes tells you how fanatically he trains, and yeah. how you know how how completely well prepared he is for everything that he does. So that tells me that his his peak is probably going to be for longer than Botham's was too, which I think in 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 comparison terms is is a uh, is a valid point to make. No, and and it is a valid observation that his peak is going to have an extension. Because in most sports, like the top athletes, be it Brady, be it Federer, be it LeBron, and, you know, Kohli's already talking about he's going to play another 10 years. So, yeah, all these guys are, the fitness benchmark has been just raised. Uh, and, yeah, Stokes is another candidate who I think we can see uh, in winning circles, making contributions. So let, let me ask you this, Kevin. What's your old school definition of an all-rounder? Because whenever we're playing, we discuss with friends, people... I think the benchmark is anybody who can make the team on both disciplines. Is that still the case? Uh, do you see Stokes carry the follow-up question? Is do you see if that's the case? Do you see Stokes carry the weight of uh, say if Anderson gets injured, for example, can Stokes carry on the lower and just you know also deliver on the bowling front bowl long spells? I think Stokes can certainly bowl long spells. I wouldn't classify him as a strike bowler the way Botham was um, I think Stokes is a is a is a, is a second seamer um, but uh, yeah no, no doubt and an all-rounder to me is somebody who would be selected as as a, as a batsman or a bowler um, there, you know there, there can be there can be a little there can be a little wiggle room in there because you you wouldn't necessarily select Ben Stokes as a, as a just as a bowler, for example. Um, but an all-rounder should be capable of scoring hundreds and should be capable of taking fifers. That's the definition, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, well said, uh, Ed. Uh, do you see it differently? You want to add something to the definition of an all-rounder, and where does Stoke fit that criteria? What Kev just said. No, no, I agree with what Kevin uh, you. Um, yeah, I think it should be. It's someone who can make a side, either you know, either as a batsman or as a bowler. And I think we've probably been quite lucky in with you know, Look at it, Flintoff. We don't have to go that far back to Flintoff. And then, of course, it wasn't that far before him. We had Ian Botham. So within my lifetime, we've had three, three of the probably of the top ten rounds of the last sort of thirty, forty years. So we, and let me ask we you, have been incredibly. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Zach. We, we have been incredibly lucky. And, and I look from the perspective of someone who lives in Australia. 
and I've seen the Australian test side wrapping itself in circles over the last 20 years trying to find an all-rounder. And, uh, and as, as Ed said, England have been incredibly lucky being able to call on three, three of the best all-rounders that the game's produced in, in, the last, uh, in the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, okay, so Ed, this is one's for you. Uh, me and Kevin, you know, probably watch this guy on TV, but you probably have been in press rooms. And what is his relationship with media? Uh, he seems like a very marketable guy. So a loaded question. Uh, what happened a couple of years ago? Uh, have people moved past that? Is he seen? Uh, what kind of a role model is seen by the media and uh, how accessible this guy is? I know this is, again, I'm throwing a bunch of questions together. But uh, in India, you know, some of these guys are like absolute gods. Uh, mm-hmm. So how aware is Ben Stokes uh, also of his uh, responsibility? And uh, I'm sure he embraces it. So from the media bench, how do you see him? I think he's really turned his life around since, you know, I think three years ago, since the Bristol incident when he was almost persona grata. And the amount of stick he got in the, in the press, certainly in the tabloid press in England, was certainly something we hadn't seen since, sort of beefy both in his day. Um, I th- he seems very accessible to me. I think cricket in England, you know, it, it is not the same as cricket in India. Cricketers, outside of probably Ben Stokes and Joe Root, a lot of these England players could probably have an idea so, and you know, and not that many people would hustle them. Whereas I think you know, the average Indian international cricketer would probably not be able to walk down the streets in India without being mobbed. So I think, yeah, he is he is an accessible. He seems like a very chilled out bloke to me. Certainly, when he's interviewed, he seems chilled out. I think on the pitch, he, he gets a bit of the white line fever, and yeah, he does get pretty worked up. But he seems like a very likable guy. Like really, most of it, or if not all of this, England side. So at the beginning of uh, this conversation, uh, I think, uh, Ed, you said that he's one of the three best cricketers in the world. So this is, again, a question for both of you. Uh, Kevin, you can go first. So I, 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 fair, it's fair to assume the other two guys are Smith and Kohli. So India without Kohli in India, Smith, Australia without Smith in Australia, and England without Stokes in England. Which side, which side becomes almost uh, most likely beatable if one of these guys is missing at home? Kevin, uh, if you want to break it down. Um, and of course, think, it depends who they're playing. I mean, all that thing comes into play, but I'm just talking about the sheer reliance at home conditions for all three test giants with their, you know, alpha men. I think you can probably best attack this in reverse. Um, the side that would lose least, I think, is probably India with Kohli because simply because they have other batsmen in their home conditions who can come in and pick up that slack. Um, you know, which is which is not to say India wouldn't miss Kohli desperately. Of course they would. But to, to answer your specific question, I think India would probably uh, would would probably be the least affected. Um, Stoke, England missing Stokes is is huge in in England or out of England. Um, he is the he's the fulcrum of that team. I think um, Root is the captain, but Stokes is the fulcrum, and uh, you know not just for what he brings to the side, but also the way he he balances the side too, which means we can pick a five man attack. Um, so I, I think 
I think Stokes is is huge. Uh, Smith, we've seen Australia without Smith uh, over the last sort of couple of years following the ban, and uh, that would again it would be massive because he is aside from Warner in Australia, he's probably the only the only guy in that side who can be guaranteed to score runs. Uh, most of the most of the Australian top order is is flaky at best, um, and Smith makes such a huge difference to that side. So, I think you can probably put Smith and Stokes on a level in terms of the damage that being without them does to their team, and uh, and Coley probably in third place. Ed, uh, you can go uh, on the same question, and I'll reverse it for you. I think Kevin pretty much covered it really well. So which of the three becomes most valuable when their teams are touring, not at home? That's, that's a good one. Um, well, I was going to say England would miss Stokes the most out of the three. I think away from home, I think, well, I think perhaps having overcome his, you know, he had a terrible tour in England the first time round, but a couple of years ago, he certainly overcome his problems in England. So... I think Steve Smith's just quality all around the world. So, yeah, I think Stokes, again, would probably be the one that, that, that would be missed the most overseas. I think India without Kohli overseas, well, that, that's something that needs to be seen, how that uh, that plays out, if that ever happens. I think if, if you ask the question from an overseas perspective, touring away from home, then then I think the three the three of them become... A lot more equal in terms of how much they're missed because the uh, the ability of the Indian batsmen to score big runs overseas obviously isn't as pronounced as it is when they're batting at home. Uh, so to miss to miss somebody of the quality of Kohli, I think would make a lot more difference to them if they were touring than if they were at home. Sure. All right, so let's wrap this conversation up, and we have to talk about uh, the newest member of the five hundred. Uh, Cricket club. Astonishing. Of course, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, a lot of different ways for fans to belittle it, but 500 is still 500. Uh, and this is the era we live in. Uh, you know, you can't take it in wickets in India or the subcontinent. Of course, Broad would like to improve upon those numbers, but let's give the man his due. So, Kevin, did you see this coming when this guy started like, what, 13 or 14 years ago? Uh, he was oh, definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, the, the the Stuart Broad who who made his debut in in Sri Lanka, um, you was definitely not a 500 wicket bowler. Um, the way he has the the most impressive thing to me about Stuart Broad is the desire that he has to keep getting better. Uh, the, the the changes that he's made to the way he bowls. Um, they they mentioned it on the on the Sky commentary a couple of times, but uh, the way he now bowls a fuller length, for example, over the last couple of years, uh, there aren't many bowlers at, at that age um, who would be prepared to go away and reinvent themselves and and the way that they bowl. Even his reaction to getting dropped in the first Test match. Uh, I saw that there were some people who didn't like what he said about that, and I completely disagreed. I, I thought what he said was fantastic. You know, to still to still have the fire to be 
to be upset and to be hurt, to be dropped at the age of 34, to still have that fire to come back and say, I'll show you, You've, you did the wrong thing. Uh, I think that was hugely impressive. I'm a, I am a massive Stuart Broad fan. I, I am an unashamed fan of Stuart Broad. I think he's been a magnificent bowler for England and we've been very, very lucky to have him. And Ed, uh, you get the difficult part of it, not that Kevin couldn't handle it. Kevin, I think, just broke it down. But uh, no, because uh, I don't want to ask the same question again. I think you both are in kind of uh, sound agreement. Uh, so what do you say to people who are, you know, saying, okay, anybody can get into the 500 club because he played most of his cricket at home and his numbers and some of the other conditions are, you know, uh, not even average. So his bowling average is uh, not good. So just uh, to be fair to his detractors, I mean, uh, how do you put a defence for Stuart Broad? Um, yeah, I think I was looking at his stats. He's actually got 321 test wickets at home at 25s and 180 at 31 away. It's very similar to Jimmy Anderson. I think he's averaging 23 at home and 32 away. So I, I think if you look to the Indian spinner, someone like Ashwin, you know, there'll be a huge huge difference between his home record and his away record. I don't think you can really blame blame the two, blame Broad or Anderson for the fact that they do better in their own conditions than they do travelling around the world. I think, like like Kev said, I think England have been so lucky the last 10 years, really because of central contracts. England have just had these two phenomenal bowlers, Anderson and Broad, and just hope they can run up in Cottonwall and get another couple of years out of each of them. And well said. I just want to also clear there anyone who's listening who's a Broad fan. I, I kind of like Broad, and I was telling Kev the other day, I sheepishly asked Kevin Sanket, uh, is Broad the leader of this team now, the bowling attack, or is still, uh, you know, it's fair to say because Anderson is Anderson. And they both said, now, if you look at the numbers for the last year and a half, uh, Broad's clearly been the go to guy. So. So, Kevin, again, uh, prediction-wise, uh, you know, you said Anderson's also as fit as a bull. How long do you see these guys going, I mean, this attack? Is there an uh, end in sight for Anderson? Um, <laughs> Anderson is on record, I believe, as saying that he wants another Ashes tour down here. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a funny one. Um, on the one hand, it's 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 Jimmy Anderson, so why wouldn't you pick him? On the other hand, you do wonder if there'll be a a degree of reduced effectiveness down here. Um, it'll be a it'll be a very very tricky one for the selectors. I think my 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 gut honestly tells me that they they might take one of Broad and Anderson down here, but possibly not both. But uh, We'll, we'll see how that turns out. But, yeah, no, there's no doubt that, that Jimmy wants to come here for one last tour. And Broad, when last week, said that he, he doesn't see why he can't go past 600 wickets. You know, and, and as long as he keeps himself as fit and as motivated as, as he is right now, who would, who would, bat, who would bet against him? No, absolutely not. So, uh, actually, I lied. We have one more uh... Uh, segment to cover before we wrap this. So, Ed, uh, Ireland's in town. They start by the time the show is released. I think the first one day would be in the books. I'll try to edit it tonight. But uh, what do you make of that team? And uh, anyone who really hasn't followed their fortunes, uh, what do you expect of this three uh, ODI series? 
Well, I think that they're facing an uphill task, obviously playing world champions at home. But I think Ireland, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for them. I think they've got a couple of exciting new players. Karen Delaney is a young lad, hits the ball very cleanly. I saw him hit some enormous sixes against West Indies a few months ago, just before sort of lockdown uh, around the world kicked in. Um, I think he'll be one to look out for. Um, Harry Tector in the middle order, another uh, lad who hits the ball very hard, very cleanly. Lorcan Tucker is a new uh, up-and-coming wicketkeeper batsman who looks like he's going to displace uh, long-serving Gary Wilson. I think it's going to be a very tough task, Brian. But to be honest, they got hammered by the Lions a couple of days ago, so I think they'll do well to push England in any of the, the upcoming games. But is it a full-strength English side? They're up against. Um, no, obviously they're missing um, Root Stokes, Butler, Woods, and Archer. So they are in the bubble with the Test squad. So it's going to be interesting for England. I think Tom Banton is definitely an upcoming lad to look out for in the middle. And again, another lad hits the ball very, very cleanly. And David Willey, he's come back. He was dropped. He was the one that missed out basically because of Jock becoming into the side, missed out on the World Cup. I think he's got a point to prove. And I think. Saki Mahmood is another one of England's battery. I think really it's probably the, the most um, depth in pace bowling England have had in my lifetime. You know, you look, they've got Anderson, Broad Archer, uh, Wood, Wokes, Sam Curran, and then Saki Mahmood, Tom Curran, Oli said It's just crazy the amount of fast bowlers they have to pick from. Yeah, England has quite, quite the bench. I mean, the, the names you just mentioned just uh, speaks volumes for their strength in the, in the white ball cricket. Who would have thought, you know, five years ago when they were knocked out of the World Cup of Bangladesh, we would be talking like this. So, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so yeah. On that note, uh, thank you both for uh, coming to the show. We'll uh, uh, we'll have you back. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of cricket coming our way. Fingers crossed, and we can probably get this forum back once again. So, thanks a lot for joining. I know it's late night in UK, and Kevin, uh, go on about your day, buddy. Thanks, Saqib. It's been a pleasure. Good to uh, good to talk, Ed. We'll do it again. Yeah, cheers, Ed. Thanks, Saqib.